Hey friends, welcome to Boca, a podcast exploring the ever-blurring lines between the personal and business lives of professional photographers. This is your host, Nathan Holritz, and I'm happy that you can join me today in connecting with photographers and entrepreneurs as we discuss photography, business, and oh yeah, that sometimes messy thing that we call life. This podcast is brought to you by Photographer's Edit, custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit photographersedit.com. All right, Boca Podcast listeners, thanks so much for joining us today. And I have my new friend, Danette Chapel with me today. Thank you, Danette, for making time for the Boca Podcast listeners. Oh my gosh, thank you for having me. I'm very excited. And I've already complimented you on this, but you've got an incredible radio voice. Like if, if you weren't a photographer as busy as you are, you should totally go be a, a podcast uh, podcaster or a DJ or something. It, you know, it's so funny because my roommate makes fun of me because when I get talking about, especially business topics, I get like this very soothing voice and she's like, yeah. you, know what? you really shouldn't use that. You're just going to put people to sleep. <laughs> like, Okay. Well, no, I mean, I lit- we literally picked up on Skype and the, the moment you started talking, I was like, whoa, that, like we're, we're taking this podcast to a whole nother level now. So this is good. <laughs> I, I want to start out the, the interview though with a caption that's on your website. It says, my name is Danette and I'm a girl with a cat, a camera and an affinity for Harry Potter. Um, so self-proclaimed <laughs> yeah. nerd, apparently. What, what does that actually mean to you? Uh, yeah. So I am very nerdy. I feel like I would never fit in with the cool crowd. <laughs> but yeah, I it, like Harry Potter defines me. That's my heart. I'm obsessed with, you know, video games and all the things that, you know, a 30 something girl would not normally be obsessed with. And I, I don't know if that's a compliment for myself or not. <laughs> <laughs> have you, uh, the qu- big question though, is have you been to Harry Potter world universal studios yet? Oh yeah. Have oh you? yeah. I definitely, I, I have taken it a step further than oh, that. Actually, I spent a, a few years ago for my 30th birthday. I went to England just to tour like all of the filming locations. So I, I am a hardcore Harry Potter nerd. That's hilarious. Okay. So what was that experience like though? I mean, if you were to sum it up. Oh, it was incredible. It was, you know, England's beautiful and living in the U.S., especially in the West, it's just so different. So being able to see things that are super old and green, <laughs> you know, not desert, it was it was awesome. And seeing the, the locations and the history behind it all. Oh, absolutely. My nerdy little heart just sings. I know. I actually I can totally relate to that because I spent some time in Italy a few years ago and I got back and I was like, oh, my word, there's there's so much character, you know, these thousand, 1,500-year-old buildings constantly everywhere that you're walking through and around. And you come back to the States and it's like prefab and <laughs> I, it's just it, it doesn't have the same kind of character as walking around Tuscany, for example. But. It's- it, it's hard to wrap your, your brain around like that things could be that old because in the U.S. you're like, oh, that's 100 years old. That's <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and then you go there and they're like, oh, yeah, this is like at least 900 years old. You're like, what? Things existed 900 <laughs> years ago that still exist today? It's weird. <laughs> it's true. It's a bit surreal, but my goodness, it's so beautiful. And I'm, I'm excited to get back to Europe as soon as I possibly can. I want to take my kids oh, there, too. We've 
In fact, we were actually supposed to go last year. And right around the time that we had our trip scheduled, there was that terrorist attack that happened um, not too far away, I think, from Rome. We were actually supposed to be in Rome at the Vatican on Easter. And I was like, you know what? That doesn't seem like great timing considering what's going on. So we yeah. we pulled back from that. But I'm looking forward to getting back as soon as I possibly can. It's it's so cool. Yeah, yeah you definitely have to go. Oh, yeah. No, looking forward to it. But I want to, <laughs> we normally start our podcast interviews off with what I call the aha moment. And this is kind of mm-hmm. a, a turning point, if you will, something that happened in your business, maybe even in your personal life that acted as a turning point to kind of catapult your business forward. Can you share an experience like that? Yeah, I can actually. And my, my aha moment, it's, it's rather uneventful, but it was a big aha moment for me. And it was when I had been in business for a few years and I had moved to Las Vegas. I'm originally from New Mexico and it started my business when I lived in New Mexico, uh, moved to Vegas, you know, wedding capital of the world. And yet my business was still floundering and mm-hmm. it had been you know, for, for years. And, uh, my aha moment was when I realized that the reason my business was floundering was because I was so focused on the technical aspect of my business, just the photography and just improving my photography that I had no interest in the business side of things. Mm. You mean a Lightroom preset's not going to make a business for you? (laughs) Well, you know, yeah, yeah. If it's a really good Lightroom. Oh, okay. Okay. Just checking. Yeah. But, but yeah, I, I had this moment just sitting in my room. I didn't even have an office. I was, you know, running my quote business out of my bedroom. And I had this moment where I was like, wow, I'm talking about owning a photography business. And yet I don't focus on the business side of things at all. Hmm. And at that point, I didn't have a love for business. And I was just interested in, in making good photography. And it was in that moment that I realized, wow, like I really need to start taking the business side seriously, that things started to change for me. And what, what was the first change that you made when you realized that? It was investing in education and time for myself familiarizing myself with business. Hmm. And that was the the big first change was just deciding to, you know, instead of do a workshop on great lighting, do a workshop on business and something business related. That's good. And, you know, I I think back actually to earlier in my career, and I've told this story many times before, but really the main reason that I got into so-called professional photography was because I was excited about buying a fancy piece of camera equipment, which is you know hilarious <laughs> now to, to think about in hindsight. But yeah. I, the thing that I that I consistently say, if if I'm asked, um, the thing that I would do differently, um, starting my business over again, my photography business over again, would be to pay attention to the numbers, and of course that's tied directly to running an effective business. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that that is, fortunately, I think in the last year or two in particular, our industry is is talking a lot more about the significance of business and kind of balancing mm-hmm. the the craft with the business side of things but it doesn't hurt to continue to come back to this point which is that yeah if you if, you know if you if you're a hobbyist and you mm-hmm. just like playing with cameras and reading some books about photography or, or going online and reading the forums or whatever it might be um, then great go have fun but if you're mm-hmm. here to run a business then you've got to actually pay attention to that side of things and invest some time and effort and energy into it and, and even invest a little bit of money, like you were saying, and, and actually learning about it. So I think this is a good uh, reminder for all of us and a good way to kind of kickstart things. Now, I want to take a step back to your 
you personally, we, we talked about uh-huh. your, your nerdiness, but um, <laughs> does that translate to how you spend a day? Uh, what does what a oh. day in the life of the net look like? Oh, yes. It 100% translates to how I spend my day. Okay. So I am a very talkative introvert. And so I'm a What I'm does that mean exactly? Body. This is interesting because th- this conversation about kind of personality types has been a common theme as of late. What, how would you define that? How would you break it down? Yeah, I think that there's a big misconception with the word introversion. When people think introvert, they might think of someone who's very quiet or shy. And in reality, the word just means really where people draw their energy. So extroverts get energized when they are are with people and around people and get to spend time with people, whereas that really sucks energy from an introvert. And so introverts draw their energy from their alone time and the time that they get to be introspective with themselves. So I'm very much an introvert. So when I do things with a crowd, like I run a a local entrepreneur group here and stuff like that, whenever I have to be very social, it just sucks the energy out of me. So a lot of my free time is spent just being in my own little world. And that world tends to be very nerdy. So I like to be at home. I like to when I'm not working, I am reading or playing Call of Duty Black Ops. Are you serious? That's awesome. Best, best game ever. <laughs> a lot of people would probably say that that's not true. Or, you know, watching like reruns of Unsolved Mysteries or any paranormal show because I'm very nerdy with that. So how would you like, what percentage of your day do you allocate to work? I'm kind of curious. So that's something that I am very strict about. You know, I, I give myself work hours. I won't uh, respond to emails outside of those hours and I won't work in other places in my house other than my office. So I allocate probably... 70% 70% of my day to work. Okay. And is that like, does that break down to five, six, seven, eight hours? How, how many hours in a day would you say roughly on average? Maybe, maybe six hours. That's nice. Okay. And do maybe you, six hours a day. And do you start at a particular time in the morning? I do. I am not a morning person. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, me before the butt crack of 9 a.m. is not, not a happening, pretty huh? sight. Okay. No, not happening, which, you know, could could be good or bad, I suppose. I think that people who wake up early can be a little bit more productive. <laughs> but, you know, that's I, I've learned how to work with myself and what works best. And yeah. so I, I don't get started super early, but I also don't get started super late. I make sure to give myself time in the morning to, to have a strong start. Like I don't just wake up and jump into working. I don't think that that is a very beneficial thing to do. But so I, I get started around 9 or, or 10 a.m. and I give myself small breaks throughout the day. I make sure that I'm feeling rejuvenated. I start with a content schedule that I've written for myself at the beginning of the week wow. so that I can stay on track and go from there. That's really cool. Now, you made you made mention earlier of something which I think is really important for our listeners to hear again, which is that you've created parameters around your communication with clients. And, and I want to make note here of something, you know, some photographers might be like, Oh my goodness, how in the world can you function and, and, and run in a, a, a good business if you're not constantly responding to your clients right away. But the net has shot over 1500 weddings and 
uh, elopements. And so this is somebody who has a really great business going, but has still done so within parameters. And I think it's so important to create some kind of structure. It's going to look different for everybody. So there mm-hmm. isn't like kind of one map to efficiency and structure and creating some separation between uh, personal and business. But um, I think that's a really, really good, again, a good reminder for all of us, myself included. I, I leave my email notifications off on my phone, on my computer. Mm-hmm. If I'm going to do email, I go to it when I want to go to it, which is generally about two o'clock, three o'clock or so in the afternoon, a very, very specific mm-hmm. time. But I think mm-hmm. that kind of very specific proactivity is really important for the sake of not only creating some balance within so-called, I'll put balance in quotes there, but um, right. this this kind of work-life balance, not only important for that, but also just for the sake of clarity of mind. If we're constantly stopping and checking whatever the mm-hmm. most recent notification is or recent communication is, that's going to throw us off from focusing on a lot of times the stuff that actually makes a bigger difference to our business. So that's a right. that's a really great example that you're setting for us. Now, so you let's just say about 6 hours in your workday and then you you give some other time to to your your nerdy things. Um, we'll just yeah. we'll keep it simple, but how do you make that free time? I mean, you, you've run this really successful business, but you have plenty of free time to enjoy the fun things. How do you create that free time? Is there a particular tool or technique that you use? Well, so I'm I'm huge with setting expectations first and foremost. And so the first thing that I've done to create that free time and to and to feel comfortable with that is that I I've set that expectation for clients. Um, you know, I have office hours, I stick to those office hours and clients know that and they know it from the beginning, the get go. So they understand that just like any other business, I have office hours. And so I think the, the biggest tool that I've used in order to gain that free time is just making sure that I'm constantly setting those expectations with people. That's cool. So that I I do have that free time. And one of the saddest things about that I've seen with, with uh, photography businesses in particular is when people get burned out. I think that's so, so sad because people get into photography because they're passionate yep. about the photo side of things. Uh, and when you take a hobby or something that you've been really interested in or, or passionate about and you make it a business, it's you run this fine line of making that passion turn into an obligation. Mm. And and so it, free time is it, it's a, a super important thing for me and, and separating my work life from my home life is very important. And it's it's also been very important for me to draw lines just in my my home itself of where I will do work and where I won't do work in my home since I work from home. That's good because I think there is that kind of natural, even if it's subconscious, that mental shift that happens if you're going into a space where you normally do work. You know, when people talk about bringing their laptop to bed while they're also watching oh, Netflix, I'm just like, oh, never. no, no, you're, you're, you're <laughs> shooting yourself in the foot. Yeah, just not a good situation. You really are. It's and, really not. And when you create those expectations, something that popped into my head was um, back in the, the days when the four-hour work week came out, Tim Ferriss, mm-hmm. and I'm a huge mm-hmm. fan of, right. of kind of that line of thinking, but one mm-hmm. of the things he talks about in the book was autoresponders. And then people started using autoresponders mm-hmm. and they can seem really impersonal. That's just, of course, one way of, of quote, managing expectations. But how do you effectively right. manage expectations with your clients so that they know that you're not going to respond at the drop of a hat? So th- just right out the gate. So when they go to my website and they scroll down to my contact form, they're off to the right. It says when I will respond to them and the they'll get an automated response right away, which yes, can be impersonal, but it's almost like I want them to understand that I'm not trying to be fake. I want them to understand this is an autoresponder to let you know yeah. 
that I will be in touch with you within a certain amount of time. So I've given them the expectation right away when I will and will not respond so that they understand just right out the gate. That's cool. That's cool. I I think that's really, really important. I used to do the same thing too, sitting down with clients, kind of explaining to them the process that was working with whole risk photography. And and it goes back to that simple idea of creating expectations. And that's a great way to, to also create boundaries for yourself for the sake of Again, not just for the long-term success of your business, but clarity of mind. I'm, I'm realizing this more and more how um, I end up depleting myself if I put too much in for too mm. long. I need to find a better balance for the sake of clarity of mind, and I think that's really important for, for business owners in general. Now, mm-hmm. how long have you been in business or photography, and how did you get into it in the first place? I have been in business officially since 2008. I got into it. It's kind of funny. I had a bunch of cameras that my dad had given to me that he had collected over the years. Oh, wow. uh, Because he he was kind of like always dabbled into photography. So I had a bunch of cameras that he had given me that were older than me. And I took them to college with me. And I started to kind of get into the film side of things. Very like, very basic it's funny because I didn't I didn't get into developing anything until later after I had perfected the digital aspect of things. And then I fell in love like head over heels for the film side of things. Uh, but when I first started, I was just shooting film for, you know, like friends in college and taking them to Walgreens to <laughs> get developed. But nice. Yeah, yeah, very, very classy, very classy. Um, and I wish I still had like the very first engagement session that I shot all in black and white, no yeah. contrast. I think we shot it in a cemetery. Very of course, yes. And then I did an internship in 2008 with a photographer named Sarah Barlow. And she lived in Chicago and was offering internships. And I decided like, I want to try this and I want to see if photography is something that I would actually pursue. And after that internship, I just fell in love with the whole idea of creating a great experience for people uh, and to be able to give them something that helps them to relive what they were feeling on, you know, one of the happiest days of their life. And a lot of photographers will say, like, I won't touch weddings, you know, like I I will only do portraits or, or that sort of thing. And I'm kind of the photographer who's like, I love weddings. I love them. It's weird. Is it just the the kind of the raw emotion associated with that day or what is it? Yeah, I don't know if it's if it's just one thing. I, okay. I love all aspects, but I love how happy people are on yes. that day. And yep. you know, we I maybe I'm biased because I'm the photographer, but photos give so much value to the day. I don't know. Well, I, I love know, that. After as many weddings as you've photographed, I, a lot of times photographers at this stage in their career are already pretty jaded and they're like, okay, I'm, I'm pretty exhausted with this whole thing. I love the fact that you're still passionate about it. That's really exciting. I think a lot of that I have to hand to the city that I am based out of, which is Las Vegas and the sheer amount of crazy and weird <laughs> things that I could yeah, see. Yeah, I was thinking variety, but crazy sounds probably a little bit more accurate. Yeah, I would say crazy, crazy variety. How's that? Okay, there you go. <laughs> you mentioned Sarah Barlow. It's a small world because I've known Sarah since she was, oh, how old was she? 16 or 17, something like that. So <laughs> yeah. I went to a Mike Cologne workshop years ago in California and she attended that workshop. 
And then, of course, her career ended up just catapulting. And um, my my daughter thought it was so cool when when I told her that I knew the photographer of Taylor Swift's album cover a couple of years ago. She thought that was just the coolest thing. Um, yeah, I like to tell people that the photographer for Sarah Barlow or for Taylor Swift taught me, you know, everything. That I, know. <laughs> I love it. I, no, Sarah's Sarah's not only a talented photographer, but I just love her mentality. I mean, speaking of business, I'm I'm not so surprised that you have such or you're paying such keen attention to business because Sarah has a business mind. She's a talented photographer, but she's thinking about the numbers too, and she's thinking about the bigger picture. And we need more people like that setting examples for us. It's really great. Well, it's so funny that we're talking about brand today because Sarah was one of the, well, I won't even say one of the first time. It was the first time that anybody brought up the idea of brand to me was mm. was when I was interning with her. And so that's where the seed got planted. Well, and she's certainly done a, a really interesting job of creating a distinct brand for herself. I was, in fact, just on her website yesterday and her work is incredible and, and she's just done really well for herself. Is she based still in Nashville? No, she's in LA. Is she I in think. LA now? Okay. Yeah, I'm pretty sure she's based out of LA now. That's really cool. Well, it, you did mention that we're going to be talking about brand today. And, and how I'd originally found you or heard about you was through an article that you'd written for F-Stoppers uh, a couple of months ago about the question, does your photography have a brand? And um, so before we kind of break that topic down just a little bit, I'm curious what your business's brand position is. This is a question that I ask photographers a good bit here on the podcast um, I'm, I'm curious how you break your brand position down for your business. Yeah. So the whole idea of a brand position is, you know, being able to create a unique experience for your customer that sticks with them. And it's super important, especially with photography, because our, our industry is so saturated. Yes. And, you know, like just thinking about Las Vegas, just my local industry, 25% of all weddings that happen in the U.S. happen in Las Vegas, which is wow. crazy to think about, you know. So there are a lot of photographers here. And the whole idea of conquering that market and being like the number one photographer, it's it's a that would be a daunting thing. That's not my goal. My goal is to be able to make myself stick out from the crowd a little bit, you know? And so when I, when I talk about my brand position, my brand strategy, it's all about creating a unique experience that makes me stick out from the crowd of photographers from that oversaturated market. Yeah. I like the idea of kind of taking that when we say brand position, it's one thing, but we talk about position more specifically, or kind of building on that idea, it's the idea of positioning yourself against the so-called competition. Or mm-hmm. uh, another picture that comes to mind is um, a friend of mine would talk about the the idea of having standing on a hill. Um, right. So you can imagine all of these these photographers, this crowd of photographers, and you found a hill to stand on that makes you actually mm-hmm. stand out above the rest. That's a really tough thing to do right now. So how mm-hmm. do you? What is your specific brand position there and the local? Vegas market. I mean, 25% of the weddings, uh, you, you at least went where there's a lot of business, which is smart of you. But how do you stand out in that that group of photographers? So one of the key things that I've found to help stand out is to create a niche and to have that niche. And so to, to 
be very specific about the type of photography that you like to shoot yeah. um, or that I like to shoot has been instrumental in helping me to define my brand position. Uh, so having a niche and, and, and specifying it, it precisely what I'm shooting. So f- way more specific than just weddings or just elopements, um, just really niching that down and in, into a specific type of wedding that I'm willing to shoot. And what is that for you? I specialize in high-end elopements. Interesting. So we're talking, okay. You know, so we're talking about a very unique market with Las Vegas where you have the traditional side of weddings, but then you also have the elopement side of Vegas where people are coming from all over the world to get married. And so for me, I didn't want to do like the super cheesy, low-end stuff that Vegas is known for, but I wanted to do high-end, fun, adventurous elopements. And that still may include elements of like traditional Vegas uh, drive-through wedding chapel or Elvis, you know, popping out of a drive-through window <laughs> to marry yeah, people. Yeah, yeah. And then, but and that's then, just an element of it though. It's just, it's just an element of okay. everything that this city has to offer. So for me, I, I niche down to high-end adventurous elopements. And those are for people who are willing to travel here from all over the world and come out with me and gallivant around the desert to get married in the middle of the Nevada desert outside of Vegas or even like on the streets of downtown Vegas um, just to make the whole day an adventure. Wow. Okay. But I love, you said specificity and, and I was like, okay, but what is that specific thing? I, I have never heard of another photographer that says I specialize in high-end elopements. We, we actually just had a photographer on the podcast not very long ago speak, speaking about this topic of elopements. Um, Cherry mm-hmm. Thomas came on and, and shared Ooh. a little bit about that, but that was a different vibe. It was more courthouse weddings. Um, this is sure. a whole different genre, if you will, and I love the specificity of that. There are too many, <laughs> um, or I, I shouldn't say too many, there's so many wedding photographers, but too many of those wedding photographers are using the same verbiage, the same words to describe their business and doing right. very, very little to actually set themselves apart, not only in the way that they describe their their business in person to someone, but then certainly the way that they describe their business on their website and then the keywords that they're using to set themselves apart or themselves apart uh, when it comes to, to Google and SEO. But this is, I mean, you can't get more, much more specific than this. Can you give us a, an example of like, what does a high-end elopement look like? Describe a scenario a day um, where you might have photographed a client like this. So a high-end elopement starts with the type of client. These clients are going to be people who value photography above everything because they know that that's going to be the one tangible thing that they walk away with besides their marriage license from that day. So first and foremost, it starts with the client who are, they're willing to pay maybe a a little bit higher of a price for better photography than maybe say the typical wedding chapel photographer that you'd find in Las Vegas. And so it starts with the the type of client, what they're willing to pay and then what they want to do. So what I've done on my website is I've suggested specific locations for photos. And it's funny because you hear the, the whole thing about where you, whatever you put out, you'll get back. When, when it comes to photography, if you put out, you know, very dramatic photos that are dramatically lit, you're going to get clients who want dramatically lit photos. Yep, so true. And if you give, if you give them light and airy photos, they may not be happy because that's not what you put out on your website, right? So what I started doing is I started putting out the locations that I, I want to shoot at. So from there, it I get the clients who 
want an adventure. They want a little bit higher end of an experience and then they want a specific location. And so it kind of breaks down from there. That's cool. So what kind of locations then are you taking them? You mentioned the desert and certainly the chapel. What are some of the more exotic locations around Vegas that you're taking into? Well, I want to get them off of the strip is, is essentially interesting. Okay my strategy. I don't want to be shooting at a casino or on a casino property. I want to get them off of the strip into more unique locations like a dry cracked lake bed where they can be just in the middle of nowhere or uh, a desert ghost town, things like that. And not only is it going to be a, a more unique experience, but it does translate into an adventure because I'm pulling these people from all over the place and I'm convincing them to go in the middle of nowhere <laughs> with me, yes. you know, away from Las Vegas. And a lot of times that's out of a client's comfort zone. And that is essentially what creates an even better experience. It makes it more memorable because they're like, you know, Absolutely. we came from, from Belgium and had to figure out how to meet our photographer in the middle of the desert and didn't get eaten by rattlesnakes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I love this. But you know what I love even more is the very, very close parallel um, to this, the significance of creating a unique brand position, which is your approach to photographing these clients. You said you take them off the strip. I think what photographers have a tendency of doing is staying on the proverbial strip, if you will, staying where everybody else is because they, they know what it looks like and how it works and how it feels. You, you're taking them off the strip and going elsewhere. And I think that's a really, really cool parallel to how we need to approach building a powerful brand. We need to create a distinction. And that's not going to happen if you stay in the exact same place that everybody else is. So this is kind of a, a great segue then to a question that I have for the sake of our listeners, which is how then do they create a powerful photography brand? Because not everybody's in Vegas and has the kind of surroundings that you do and the options that you do, or at least so it seems. How do they go about creating an effective brand? Do you have a few steps that you can recommend to us? Yeah, absolutely. So I feel like it's very natural when jumping into owning a photography business that we look at what everyone else is doing around us. And we analyze who is successful and maybe who's not quite as successful. And then we try to emulate what they're doing. And that's exactly how I started off. Uh, doing my business. You know, everybody had their name photography. So I started my business with Danette Chapel Photography. <laughs> right. And then, you know, I tried to look at people's websites and what was working for them and like emulate what their brand was. And in reality, that wasn't my brand at all. And so I was doing myself a huge disservice uh, because I was emulating something else and I didn't really have a strong why behind that. When we talk about brand, I think that's maybe one of the biggest misconceptions that word brand in the business world, because when you think of brand, a lot of the times people will think of a brand name like right. Walmart or FedEx or some brand that is recognizable to them. And even beyond that, they'll think of maybe a recognizable logo, yes. like the Visa logo or yep. something like that. And, and when we say brand, that's not what we're talking about at all. We're talking about the perception that someone gets when they see your business and the products mm. and services that you offer. Mm-hmm. Right. And so when we talk about building a brand, we're talking about the all inclusive perception that is in someone's mind when they think of your 
company. I like and it. so what we're trying to do is we're trying to cre- create this objective perception in people's minds. So objective perception, I'm also thinking of the word feeling, like how do they feel? How does it make them feel when they think of this particular brand? Because you, you think of these iconic brands like, like Apple, for example, or Amazon or Coke or whatever it might be. Um, there are certain things that that probably memories that are associated with that particular brand, and then those memories make you feel something. But it's really important right. that we're doing something similar. And, and and again, to your point earlier, when you're talking about taking your clients off the strip and going somewhere that maybe that they're even uncomfortable, I, mm-hmm. I mean, scientifically, uh, from from what I've read and understood about the way that our minds work, when when there is an emotionally compelling experience, there is a tendency to remember that experience, uh, and you're doing that for these clients. So uh, I think that's a right. really powerful example. But uh, take us back then to this process. So we're, we're talking about creating a brand, which is how these clients feel. We need to make sure that there is a clear distinction, that you're actually not doing the same thing that everybody else is, but you're creating a clear distinction between yourself and the other brands around you. What's the next step? Well, so you really have to back up to create a unique and clear brand and that you have to back up kind of to the foundation of your business and what you've built your business upon. And the question that I always like to ask people is, you know, do you know your why? Yes. Your why behind why you have this business. And that's such an important question. I think any, any time in life and I, you know, when people hear me talk or I coach someone, it's, it's funny because I am constantly talking about the why behind things. And I almost feel like I'm quite repetitive, but it's so important to know your why. And so before even building your brand, if you don't know your why behind why you're in business, then you're not going to be able to build a strong brand. Oh, that's so good. And this is something that I just um, shared with the photographers at a, at a recent conference that I attended. Uh, it was mm. this very idea of creating what I refer to as the big picture view. Uh, but these are kind of the overarching goals that drive what you do, not only in your business, but in your personal life too. And those mm. are the things mm-hmm. that ultimately drive you to create a business model that matches your why, exactly what you're talking about. So that's that's mm-hmm. so good. Well, I was going to say too, you know, with that why, a lot of times people will feel like, oh, well, you know, I do it because blah, blah, blah. And they feel like they've answered their why, but you have to be very intentional and dive in. And, and you know, I've, I have pages of why I am doing photography as a business. And it's, wow. it's so much more than just, you know, because I like photography and want to take pictures for people and make them feel happy. You know, there's so many whys. And you think about anything you do in life, why you like something or why you tend to gravitate towards something. There's deep reasons behind that. And it's, it's no different with your business. Would you mind sharing an example or two of some of what's on those pages of, of your why? I'm curious to, to kind of help our photographers understand what that looks like. Because as you said, you know, just saying I, I like art or I'm an artist or I, I like to use photography as a, um, as a vehicle for my artistic side or something like this is a little bit more surface in comparison to what we're talking about, I think. And I'd love to hear an example or two. Yeah, a big why behind why I'm a wedding photographer is because... We, we go back to the whole experiential thing. I want people to have a great experience on their wedding day. And the reason why I 
like being in business for that is because I feel like I can offer a great experience. If you're the best photographer in the world and you give the best photos that anyone has ever seen, but you created a bad experience, all that people are going to think of when they look at those photos is the terrible experience that they were having at the time that the photo was taken. And so um, one of my many whys would be because I want to give that great experience. Another uh, one of my whys is because as I got older, I started to realize how important photos actually are and yeah. how much we take them for granted. And I feel like this might be many people's why. But, you know, as I started to lose people that I loved and realized that I didn't have as many photos mm. as I should have, um, I wanted to be there for people to make sure that they understood and had those photos that I didn't have. Yeah. And, and I love when we can pull from our personal experiences and kind of put that into uh, the, the brand that we're creating. It makes it so much more meaningful. And then, and then the idea of having a sustainable business that, that enables us to maintain that excitement and passion that, that you so exude, uh, that's possible because mm -hmm. you have a deeper why. It goes beyond the camera. It goes beyond, beyond the art. Um, I love that, that you like to make your clients feel a particular way. I think that's a beautiful thing, but then you've got an even deeper personal reason, which is tied to making sure that others have images of those that are important to their lives, maybe in a way that you don't have with certain people that you've lost. And that's a, it's a sad thing, but it's a powerful thing too. At the same time that you've taken that, you're turning it into a good thing and giving that to your clients. I think that's, that's really beautiful. Um, so creating a clear definition then of a brand is really, really important. I'm glad that we've taken some time to break that down today, mm -hmm. asking mm -hmm. then what your why is before you even begin to develop that brand. And then mm -hmm. take us, walk us through a little bit of how then to figure out a way to differentiate yourself from the, the hundreds or even thousands of photographers. How do you pick that, that niche? Well, you have to know who you're speaking to before you can go oh, any further. Good. So, yeah. so you, you have to clearly define who your ideal client is. And if you haven't done that, it's about as good as standing up and shouting, you know, your mantra to an empty room. You're, you're not going to get heard um, because you don't know who you're speaking to. And so you're not going to have a clear brand voice because you have no idea who that voice is supposed to go and be heard by. That's that's really good. And that takes a little bit of effort on our parts as business owners to, to just develop some awareness of the market that, that we want to reach out to. And actually, to your earlier point about understanding your why, that why is going to, again, drive the business model. And the business model then is going to determine the market that you're going after. Mm -hmm. And and then you can spend a little bit of time doing the research on, I say a little bit of time, I mean, even an extensive time doing some research on the market that you are targeting so that you know how to speak their language uh, effectively, which will enable you to market your business more effectively. And that's that's really, really good. These are some really great kind of starting points um, for our <laughs> listeners. And I know this is a much, much deeper topic, but what I want to do mm. is we'll, we'll link them to the article that you wrote for F-Stoppers oh, yeah. uh, in our show notes so that they can take a deeper dive. And sure. um, and then if they want to, to also see your work online, whereabouts can they find you? They can find me on my website, which is amberlightcollective.com and also on Instagram at amberlight underscore collective underscore photo, oh, okay. world's longest Instagram handle. <laughs> and I have to ask, are there, are there images of you um, at Harry Potter world on Instagram? 
No, there aren't. There no. should be. Oh, absolutely. I'm going in January. That's going to be like my January goals to make sure that I put up one from Harry Potter World and go a- from there. Absolutely. Yeah, we're going to all look for that now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. No, this has been really good. Danette, thank you so much for making time to to share with our listeners. Um, as I mentioned, we'll we'll link not only to that, that F-Stoppers article, but we'll also link to your website and um and make sure that our listeners can kind of dive deeper into this topic because it's really really important i think a lot of us it's good that we just go for it and we start our businesses but if we don't understand why we're doing that and ultimately develop a brand that is distinct enough it's going to be a lot tougher to develop a sustainable business so this is really really helpful to our listeners thank you again yeah thank you so much for having me Thanks so much for listening to the Boca podcast today. Will you let us know what you think by leaving a review of the podcast in iTunes or maybe in the Apple podcast app? And I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast, maybe suggestions about future topics and guests for the show. My direct email is nathan at photographersedit.com. The Boca podcast is brought to you by Photographers Edit, custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit photographersedit.com. Come